You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. So if you're a subscriber to LaborUnionNews.com or if you've been following any of the media covering the wave of union organizing activity that's been going on for about two years now, you're probably already aware that nearly a year ago, a Trader Joe's store in Hadley, Massachusetts became the first Trader Joe's store in the nation to unionize. Now, since then, there's been several Trader Joe's stores around the country that have had NLRB elections. And to date, on top of unionizing the store in Massachusetts, a union calling itself Trader Joe's United has won elections in Louisville, Kentucky, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Oakland, California, while narrowly losing an election in New York City. In Massachusetts, though, After nearly a year of representing employees in the first store that Trader Joe's United unionized, the union still does not have a contract, which is not unusual, by the way, as according to Bloomberg Law, negotiating a first contract, if one can be reached at all, takes an average of 465 days from union certification to contract. I give you this as background to introducing my guest today, About two weeks ago, there was an article in the Washington Examiner entitled Trader Joe's United is Not What We Bargained For, and it was written by a current employee of Trader Joe's by the name of Michael Alcorn. Now, I'll include the link to the article under the audio portion of this episode because it is a fascinating dissection of what happened both before, during, and after the unionization of Trader Joe's Massachusetts store. But joining me today are two current employees of Trader Joe's Massachusetts store, Michael Alcorn and Les Stratford. Their story is fascinating because it's a real-life, behind-the-scenes look at what happens during some union organizing campaigns and their aftermath from an employee's, or in this case, two employees' perspectives. So without further ado, here's Michael Alcorn and Les Stratford. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, Michael Alcorn and Les Stratford, welcome to Labor Relations Radio. It is an honor to have you both on. This Thank is going you to be, for having us. This is going to be an unusual episode because you are, for lack of a better term, on the front line, so to speak, of what's going on with unions today. Yeah, it would seem Very so. True. So can you, can you both individually give kind of a little bit about your backgrounds and where you are today, so to speak? Sure. Um, Les, you want to go ahead? Oh, okay. Uh, Well, I mean, been with Trader Joe's for just about 10 years, but been in retail since 1987, and uh, this has been one of the more challenging years that I've had, and I can honestly say I still still love my job. I just uh, don't quite understand everything that's, you know, happening. So you're currently employed at Trader Joe's in the Hadley, Massachusetts store? Yes. Okay. And that, for the listeners, was the first of the Trader Joe's that got unionized almost 11 months ago to the day, I think. Might have been 11 yeah. months ago to the day. 
Yes. And and Michael, you've been with Trader Joe's yes. for a number of years as well. Yes, it's almost going to be nine years. Um, I started at a store in Boston, and I worked there for five years, and then transferred to this store in 2019, just before the pandemic. And up until then, my previous experience had been with Starbucks for a few years. And before that, when I was in college, I worked in a big shoe warehouse retail place. So I've had all of my experience working in retail as well. So, Michael, you wrote an article in the Washington Examiner uh, probably a week or so ago, a couple weeks ago, and it was entitled Trader Joe's Union is Not What We Bargained For. And so mm-hmm. you you kind of, you it was a fantastic article because you went through kind of almost soup to nuts of what's transpired there. But you started the article by saying that the workplace is not, stressful, friendly managers, you know, kind of, it sounds like a fun job. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think when I came to Trader Joe's, I instantly was so happy to have the job. I felt like it was a very low stress environment compared to my previous employment. There was a lot of support. We have lots of coworkers. um, So you never really ever feel like you're stuck to do one thing by yourself. Um, Sometimes we have too many coworkers. I feel because we're just we have so much support that there are some moments where we're like, okay, what are we going to do now? Because we've just got it all taken care of, uh, and it just is a fun place to work. Very interactive. You never get stuck in one place. It, everybody's pretty equal, and everybody gets to get involved in all sorts of decisions within the store, no matter who you are. So um, it's been a really fun place to work in. Well, and you indicate there's industry-leading wages, you've got generous benefits, flexible schedules, loose uniform requirements, and a culture of respect. So yes. it, it doesn't sound like it's a bad place to work. No. <laughs> or it didn't. I wouldn't I, say no. so. <laughs> so, and this, and I'm, I'm just going to kind of speak to what I think some listeners may be asking as we watch this wave of unionization this seems not your usual place to unionize. Did you have bad managers? They yell at you? No. Bad communication? Um, no. Uh, no. Um, things were pretty, pretty clear. I think the pandemic, obviously, was a very stressful time for everybody. Um, and I think working in an environment where you're exposed to the public in those early days was very uncomfortable and stressful. Nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew what to do, how to protect yourself exactly, uh, how vulnerable you were in different positions. So we were all pretty anxious then. And I think that that led to many moments where you could say that uh, you could blame the fact that nobody knew what was going on on the company if, if, if you wanted to. Uh, but the reality is we, you know, in those first few weeks, we didn't know what was going on. Uh, but after that, uh, Trader Joe's did follow all of the guidelines in our area. Um, we had people lining up outside of the door. We were limiting the amount of people allowed into the store well below the threshold that was set by the state. Um, we had masks. We had partitions put up very quickly. We had tape on the ground telling people where to stand. 
Um, there was a lot of action going into protecting us in those moments. And I think for some, some people, they were more anxious than others. And there were often times where they would blame, you know, the management for being in this situation. Blame management for the pandemic or blame management for feeling afraid? Um, I'm not really sure exactly how, uh, what they were thinking in those moments. But I do know that the management and Trader Joe's did follow the guidelines and were very supportive and would let people step out when they were uncomfortable. So it came as a shock to me when I heard that the people who were trying to organize the union were claiming that Trader Joe's didn't follow proper guidelines or care for us during the pandemic when they absolutely did, including telling people they could stay home, keep their health care. Um, for as long as they need it. Oh, so they were, they're voluntarily saying you guys could stay home if you don't feel safe coming to work. I don't want to put words yes. in your mouth, but okay. Yes. That's interesting. Yes. A lot of, a lot yeah, of some stuff people. Go ahead, Les. Oh, and say some people were out for upwards of 20 months and they were told to come back. You know, the, there's vaccines now. It's time for you to, you know, get vaccinated and return. And, you know, so some of them did. And, and I, think that's you know kind of where the union started its birth i think was just requiring uh, them to come back yeah interesting so let me ask you a question you you got unionized in august of 2022 i believe it was august might have been actually it's late july i think right um, yes late july now i'm in a different part of the country when did massachusetts start to open back up so to speak because, you know, the, the shutdowns and the mask mandates and all that sort of stuff, they started ending in a lot of the parts of the country in 2021. So well, I think a, it was October of 21 was when the vaccines were out and they were like, okay, it's, you know, time for people to come back. Okay. There's a, there's a bit of a gap there in terms of, you know, from the time people started coming back, having the vaccine and opening up, I guess, to when you folks got unionized. I was just curious yes. in the timeline there. So yes. one of the other things you mentioned in your article, Michael, was that from a, a political standpoint, you're fairly progressive and open-minded. So you're open-minded yes. to the union when you're contacted in May of 22, right? Yes, I was, absolutely. And I... Spoke, said very clearly to the organizer I spoke with that I was open to talking with my coworkers about, you know, having a union. Why do we need a union? How would this be a good thing for us? And what were you told? Like, why, why is it that you've got decent wages? You don't really, it doesn't sound like you have ogres for bosses, but what were you told in terms of what the union was going to do for you? Basically we were told that we're vulnerable if we don't have a quote unquote seat at the table. Um, so as soon as the union campaign started, it was pretty much like the messaging was you are vulnerable and Trader Joe's might not take care of you at any moment. If uh, you don't have a seat at the table through a union. But did you, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounded as though you did have somewhat of a seat at the table prior to that. Yes. Yes. I felt like we did. I think at Trader Joe's, there was 
little bureaucracy and we have connections with everyone in the company. We can call the CEO if we wanted to. We've got access to everybody. It's, um, it's not an environment where you have to go through a bureaucratic process to express your ideas and maybe your concerns about the workplace. Now, the contacting, was that through coworkers at the store or, you know, reaching out? We always hear stories of people being home visited and, you know, telephone calls, mm-hmm. text messaging, stuff like that. No, this was just a phone call from a coworker. Okay. So the seat at the table argument, was that probably the primary thing? Because we're seeing this as well in the press, you know, if if you're following the labor press at all. So you have a seat at the table, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Right. Yeah, no, I think that was the primary thing, and that was a lot of the sentiment I would get from customers coming in as well, talking about it. And Les, I can't remember if you were contacted um, before you found out about the union campaign. I had heard some of it. Um and then I was going through a lot of like really personal things, uh, losing both parents in that course of the seven weeks. So it's like right after my dad's funeral was when they announced the union. Uh, so I had no idea that part was going to be happening. But uh, oh, so nobody called you like they called me? No. Yeah, and that happened to a lot of our coworkers. They were not even contacted at all before the announcement of the union campaign. Um, And it was obviously very strategic that they had certain people they were going to get to sign the union cards. And then me, I was like one of the last people that they were going to call. So somehow they strategized who they would talk to. I don't know how they decided how to do that. But there was some sort of strategizing going on for months and months and months before we all found out about it. Yeah, are either of you familiar with the term salting or moles, union mole? Yes, not moles, but salting, yes. So, well, union mole is essentially, um, salts are more in-your-face, the traditional term, but they can it's interchangeable. But were, do you think you had a union plant or a union mole inside, or, or were you salted by any chance where they sent somebody in? I think there's potential, yes, that that might have happened, but I, I can't say for sure. So I think it, it possibly happened, yes, but I, I, I don't have any proof. Well, I one agree. Of, one of the less. Oh, I said I agree with what you just said for sure. Yeah. Yeah. One of the telltale signs that you had a plant in there is somebody who's been there two to six months, for example, learning the people, learning the the environment, and then pushing the union very hard, and then shortly thereafter leaving. And, mm. you know, it's just a matter of, you know, their job is to unionize employers and then go off to their next assignment. That's usually the sign we, of a union plan. Yeah, I know. We did have quite a few uh, of our coworkers that did leave right after the union vote. Some of them had been with Trader Joe's for uh, m- many years, and a few of them were fairly recent, like within a year's time or maybe two years. Uh, so I do think it's possible that might have there might have been some salting going on there. But there was definitely a, a move where people were saying, we're going to unionize, vote to unionize, and then we're going to leave. Um, That's interesting. 
which is interesting, and it's, it really makes you question how is this supposed to be representative of the workers or uh, helping the workers who are actually going to be in the store if you're leaving. So they launched the campaign, and I'm just going back to your article for a moment, they launched the campaign around May of 22, right? Or uh, they it announced it thereafter? publicly. Yeah, yeah, uh, so, I think so. So I and I vaguely remember some of the stories in the media coming from that. Were did you uh, were you involved or stay involved? Like were they talking to you during the campaign? Or I think you indicated oh. you asked some questions that made them uncomfortable. Mm, and excluded yes. you. Oh, absolutely. Um, they would answer questions vaguely. Uh, most of the answers that I got from them made it clear to me they didn't know what they were talking about. And at this point, I didn't know a lot about unions. I don't think a lot of us did. Uh, and so we were all kind of doing our own research to figure out uh, what does this mean for us? Um, so we did have serious questions for them. And during the campaign, when I would, when we would talk about what we know about unions, uh, let's say there's going to be dues, right? We need to know how much this is going to cost. We're going to have to negotiate for our benefits. They would sort of toss it off as, oh, that's not a problem. We're going to be able to handle that. But they couldn't give us any real material reason how they were going to do it. So there were no real answers. And then eventually they started to say, you know what? I actually got a message from one of the head organizers who said, Michael, I've given you plenty of information, and some of the information this person had given me was a bunch of statistics, uh, Robert Reich videos, uh, oh. just loads of links to statistics <laughs> that was supposed to tell me why we needed a union, not based upon our work experience or anything going on. And so I, eventually, after I kept asking this person questions, they said, you know what, I've spent enough time with you, and I, I can't. I've got to focus on the people who are going to help me win this election. And uh, pretty much whatever your worries are, your concerns about what might be happening in your workplace and your benefits are, you know, I'm sorry they're not important to me because I'm more interested in winning this union election. Now, this was a coworker, right? Yes. Okay. Unless, did you have similar experiences? Yeah. I mean, I was trying to figure out how it would affect us, try to understand how they were going to do it. And if they did, you know, what was it going to change? I mean, and immediately the workplace dynamic became like both like a two side thing where if you weren't going to put a pin on or fight to put a pin on, then you were not going to be kind of acknowledged. <laughs> so it was, yeah. Like, if, if you're not with us, you're a Guinness. Is that the yeah. phrase? Yes. Yeah. And so were you, were you alienated or, or was there alienation going on throughout the store? Um, some people, no. Oh, go ahead, Les. I was going to say some people more so than others. I mean, there were some people that were definitely, they wanted to be silenced. I tried hard to keep, try and find some common ground to be able to uh, kind of coexist, even though you could tell that because I didn't have pom-poms <laughs> that they weren't happy with me. And while this was going on, were you just kind of staying to yourselves or were you talking to your coworkers throughout? 
we were actively engaging with our coworkers as much as possible. I mean, we were, you know, in a bit of a panic, to be honest, because, you know, they had had months to prepare, uh, talk about this with their people and get signatures. Um, so they had lots of time to prepare for this campaign, but we had a lot less time and it felt a little heightened because not only were they, they weren't going to have a meeting with all of us, which I was told they would. So I thought, well, we'll all get together somewhere and we'll all talk about what's going to happen. That never happened. It very clearly immediately. It was like, you either accept the union or you don't. And we don't have time. We're not going to all talk about it together because if you don't accept it, we can't trust you. Um, so that was the, the culture. That was the feeling right away in the store. So is that a divide and conquer or was it, were they purposely excluding people or was it, we just don't have time for you? I don't know. I think that they, they kept saying that they couldn't talk about things uh, because they were scared of getting fired. And that was, that was one thing that became very clear to me that somebody had gotten in there, whether it was my coworkers or influencers from outside unions and had prepared them with this narrative that, all right, you're about to go fight the company you work for, and they are going to fight you, and they're going to union bust, and pretty much anything that they say or do is going to be union busting, and this is going to be a really dangerous moment for you, and you might lose your job. So that's what my coworkers were told and sold. So by the time it came to me and Les and our other coworkers of many that were left out, these people were too scared to talk about it. They had been intimidated by the union into thinking that they were going to lose their jobs. So then we couldn't even have conversations with them about it in the workplace because they were scared. And they weren't scared by anything that Trader Joe's did. They were scared by this sort of union. The uh, narrative. Narrative, yes. So were there any conversations like off hours where you could like, you know, go meet in the parking lot or go meet at the IHOP down the road or anything like that? Yes. um, They, we found out, uh, they had a group chat, the union organizers, and I think they probably still have it from what I've heard. So they were communicating with the people that they knew supported the union right off and that, and again, leaving us out. Um, So they might've been having meetings through that group chat that we didn't know about. Uh, They did post, and I tried to actually organize a meeting for everybody to get together and talk. And not too many showed up uh, because it was hard to get everybody at the same time, obviously. But the the union organizers seemed really threatened by the fact that I was doing that. Almost as if they felt like, wait, 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 we're supposed to be hosting the meetings. And I'm thinking, wait, 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 why aren't you hosting any meetings? What are you doing? Um, So that was going on. And they did post to have a, a... a meeting one time with questions about the union. So a bunch of us showed up who at at this point had already kind of been outcast as the anti-union folks. And we showed up to ask questions about the union and some people would have conversations with us, but a lot of people were very uncomfortable having conversations about the unionization or even having debate. They were really intimidated and they didn't want to talk about it. And I had a coworker tell me, I don't want to talk to you about this because I'm scared you're going to poke holes into all of my arguments. Okay. And I was 
really surprised because I was like, wait a minute, we work together for many years. We have a good relationship at work. We, how could, why are you so intimidated by me asking questions about this? I don't understand. They, they just did not want to debate it. They wanted to win the union election and they, they didn't care if people had concerns or what their concerns were. You just had to be with us or against us. Um, and that was unfortunate. So if you had the election in late July, if I were to back up, you probably had a filing, the petition filed in mid June, guessing. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't recall if there was any litigation or anything I saw in the newspapers. So during that period, four to six weeks or whatever, was the company communicating with you? Not just you alone, but were they holding meetings or talking to, uh, do you call them partners or associates or employees? Crew members. members? Um, were they communicating about the the union campaign? The election, yeah. The election, uh, yes. I mean, they were open about it. The So, yeah, I mean, every they were the more open about it than a lot of the union people. So yes, they were they were talking to us about the election coming up. Some of them did voice opinions like from their union experience saying, you know, here's was my experience with the union. Um, you guys have to make your own decision, but I'm just sharing with you my experience. So those sorts of things did go on. But oftentimes if if management or somebody would try to to talk like that then the people on the pro-union side would say they're not allowed to talk about the union campaign at all. And they kept making it as if they're not even allowed to be talking. They have to be quiet. They're not allowed to say anything or they're um, union busting. Well, that's not true, but... (laughs) Right. But that's what all of our coworkers thought. They were being told that. Well, that's interesting. So Mm -hmm. did anybody provide you with, like, the law and how the law works? You know, like, for example, the National Labor Relations Act, you know, which gives you the right to unionize or not, um, mm-hmm. you know, if a union is elected, it mandates that collective bargaining takes place, but the parties don't have to agree. Like, does anybody share that information with you? Not, uh, not necessarily, no. That's information we probably found on our own. Right. right. Yeah, we started diving into a lot of research and trying to figure out, like, where where our place was. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it sounds like this was almost a one-sided argument. You know, Very much so. Th- and it sounds almost as though, and I, I don't want to talk for or poorly about Trader Joe's, but it sounds as though you kind of went into this having to do your own research and finding stuff on your own where, mm-hmm. you know, it's like... The National Labor Relations Act, for example, which is a great resource to learn that, oh, by the way, if I unionize, you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to get a better deal. In fact, I can actually lose. You know, right. That sort of stuff, you know, it's. Yeah. There is information. Those are the out sorts there, of but... things. Yeah. And we were finding that information for ourselves. And then when we would talk about this with our coworkers, um, they then would go and say that Trader Joe's was feeding this information to us, and this information was union-busting information. And that's what, that was something that we found really offensive and um, disrespectful because we were, we were doing our research. We were trying to make sure that 
we we knew what we were getting into and we could try to tell our coworkers what we might be getting into the full disclosure uh but the union organizers didn't want that they just they wanted their one side and then anything else they just said it was trader joe's feeding the information to us which just wasn't true you you stated in your Not article true at all. We also learned that activist employees had presented a petition to Trader Joe's claiming majority support for a union. That sounds as though it was pre-filing with the National Labor Relations Board. Is that right? I imagine so. I don't really know. The reason I'm raising that is if indeed they did do that prior to filing the petition with the National Labor Relations Board, what it sounds as though is they were trying to get voluntary recognition, where based on based on the signatures, they would automatically unionize you without secret ballot election. Right. Yes, that is true. And that was shocking to us. And I think a lot of us in the midst of it, we kind of missed that piece of the puzzle. Uh, We didn't realize that Trader Joe's was saying, no, we believe that every one of our workers should have a voice in this uh, decision. And we're going to make sure that there's an election so that everybody gets a voice. Whereas the union people who claim they want everybody to have a voice was more than willing to leave almost half of the crew out of the decision to unionize. Yeah, and that so that gets lost on a lot of people when there's actual yeah. hard signing going on. Because a lot of times they don't realize, you know, if, a, if an organizer approaches you or, you know, one of your coworkers and says, hey, this is just to get your name on the list or or to get more information or whatever, they can use that signature to get you unionized without you voting on it. And a Mm -hmm. lot of times people don't know that until after the fact. Right. And how is that getting everybody's voice and representing everyone? And how is that workers' rights? I do not understand. That's why I was shocked to hear that that's a possibility and that they're talking about putting through legislation to make that legal. I don't see how that's pro worker in any way. Yeah, that's they've been trying to do that for probably about 15 years now. It's called wow. card check and it it actually passed the house back in 2007 and it didn't make it through the senate back then. Might have been 2009, I'm losing track of time. So, you wound up having an election I noticed a little while ago before we got on that the union filed with the Department of Labor of March in March of this year, not in mm. 2022. So, mm. you know, they registered with the Department of Labor, now as Trader Joe's United. I didn't see if they're affiliated with anybody else, but they seem to be getting help, or it sounds like they were getting help. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's also a union constitution now that, mm-hmm. you know, allows the union for their members to put them on trial if they're disloyal and, and things like that. So that's information you didn't have going into the election, just based on time frame. No. Right. Yeah. That wasn't, none of that information was there. So as you're going forward, the division, the lines of division was pretty clear? I, I don't know. I'd say there was not clear lines. I mean, there were... We have we had good relationships in the store. I think Les can attest to that too. So we were yeah. able to have conversations with people on the other side. Uh, it wasn't easy. You were kind of made to feel early on that you, if you don't just agree with the union, then you're not respecting the feelings of your coworkers. Uh, but nonetheless, we did try to keep the conversations going. Uh, and uh, yes, it was divisive, but. Um, we tried our darndest to not let it be. 
Uh, and a lot of the newer and younger employees, they kind of got, I feel, I don't know if Les experienced this, but I feel like they got wind of me as some sort of anti-union person uh, and didn't want to talk to me about the union. They were they were too scared to talk to me about the union. Now, has that changed in the last 11 months? I don't know. What do you think, Les? I guess... I guess yes. I mean, the the campaign was certainly a different uh, temperature than what we're dealing with now. What's the environment like now? Now, nobody really talks about the union in the workplace very much at all. Uh, so, in a way, that you know, it's it's nice that we're not having to talk about it and sort of maybe disagree on things in the workplace. But I think that it. It's also very uncomfortable because we're in work, we're doing our job, but in the background, there's all this stuff going on with the union and the negotiations that's directly affecting us, and they're all over social media, uh, putting out statements about the company and filing unfair labor practices. So all of that's going on in the background, which is pretty distressing because um, you're just trying to come to the workplace, do your job, and be happy and be positive but then that's all going on in the background and you have no idea we don't have any idea you know what's happening with our wages benefits what our jobs going to be like if they get a contract what's going to change so we're trying to put on a brave face and get through the day and work and do our job but in the background all of that's going on which is stressful right you're kind of in that superior called status quo where everything just kind of is in limbo for mm -hmm. a while um, yeah, but have have the people who were kind of avoiding you, maybe the younger ones during the campaign, have they warmed back up, or there's still that, you know, frostiness out there? Uh, yeah, no, they've warmed up. I think. What do you think, Les? And did you have that experience? Yeah. No, no, I definitely like because we weren't necessarily supportive of the people that were working to get the union in. That we were completely against it. You know that it put it into a camp where because we liked our jobs, we were anti-union and I, and I, you know, the people that were part of the union, they just came across like they were just kind of anti-Trader Joe's as far as mm. their attacks and the way that they went about things felt mm. like there was definitely some animosity going on and made for a pretty uncomfortable time. A lot of yeah. the younger kids, I mean, you know, I've tried really hard to keep keep smiling throughout the, the situation, even though it's been incredibly hard sometimes. Yeah, because well, we want we want our coworkers and especially the newer younger coworkers to have the same great experience that we've had in the workplace. And I feel like the the narrative that I've seen the union create and spin almost forces people into a strong distrust of the company they work for right away. And so I worry for the newer and younger people, like I don't want them to have to come into the workplace feeling that. I want them to come and just be able to come to work, do their job, gain respect by doing their job, and um, not have to come into a place where they're being told, oh, by the way, uh, this company, you can't trust them and... Uh, they're union busters. <laughs> is that the message that new employees are getting as soon as they walk in the door? 
I don't know for sure, but I imagine so. I don't see how they could get anything else if you look at the union's uh, statements and their social media pages. Uh, yeah, that that's everything. That's all they're doing is sowing that doubt and distrust of Trader Joe's. Well, that's kind of a sad indictment. Um, it's very sad. <laughs> so let me, I'm, I'm kind of, there's a reason I'm going to ask this. And I, actually, I'm not saying this as a question, but Les, if you've been working since 1987 in retail, you're not quite as long in the tooth as I am, but you've been around for a while, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, and I'm kind of dovetailing this. It seems as though a lot of the current wave of organizing has been towards more youthful and progressive kids, so to speak. And I'm curious as to what is driving that. And I've been curious for the last couple of years since the, since the wave started. What is driving that, in your opinion? I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a strange sense of entitlement that I want this now. I don't want to work for it and, and earn it. I want, to, I want it now. You know, it's like, you know, you, they don't necessarily feel that they have to work for it, that they, they deserve it. They deserve it like right now, not in the future. You know, uh, it's rewarding to be able to get a raise. It's re it's for me. I mean, it's, you know, it's like, yay, another time I did it right. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well, but it is a, uh, sorry, go, 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 no, go ahead. It's, I, I, that leads to another question, but go ahead. Um, I think I'm all set. Sorry. <laughs> so, so I guess my question, I've been seeing a lot of articles, and this is in part due to the pandemic, but the labor shortages. And we started out by talking about, you know, you're getting good wages, industry leading, et cetera. I'm wondering, did Trader Joe's keep up with the wage inflation that's been going on around the country? You know, we like you know, XYZ company has to raise wages five, eight, ten percent because they can't find employees. But you know, some companies out there weren't aren't keeping up fast enough. I'm wondering, less to your I point, think, they want it now. If if Trader Joe's may have fallen behind a little bit. Well, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, we make. You know, when you're capped out at Trader Joe's, I mean, it's it's twenty seven and a quarter. Uh, hmm. I, you know, I own a house with my husband, so it's not like a it's not like it's such a hardship to, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I know during the pandemic, Trader Joe's gave extra pay. I think it started out $2 extra an hour. And then for a, a brief period of time, it was up to $4 extra an hour just to work through the pandemic. And, you know, once, once the vaccinations were happening, the, the, it was reverted back to normal. However, we got to keep, there were, we got a 20% discount on our groceries, which was a change during the pandemic. And we got to keep that, which was pretty awesome considering inflation and oh, yeah. <laughs> the rise in all the prices. So that was a, a huge benefit to keep. Yeah, it really is. So I, I digressed on you and I apologize, but when you said they mm -hmm. want it now, and I'm, I'm like thinking of some of these stories that I've seen where, you know, they haven't increased wages enough fast enough um, in certain companies. It just kind of made me think that. So the union won the election 45 to 31, which meant that roughly eight people, had they voted differently, they would have lost. 
Now, Michael, I think you mentioned a little while ago that there has been people who have left from the union side, it sounds like, right? Or, or uh, both. Yeah, I mean, there's been turnaround in general, but there okay. was a very clear, like, few people that left almost instantaneously after the vote, which was uh, a bit of a slap in the face, in my opinion. You'd have to research this, but you, you might find that they wound up becoming moles at some other establishment somewhere. Mm, yeah, uh, I wonder. Um, uh, if I could just go back to what sure. Les was talking about before, I think we do have a lot of younger coworkers. Uh, now, to be fair, a lot of the people who were organizing the union were people who had been in the store for a while uh, and not necessarily young. But there was definitely a lot of pressure, I think, on the young uh, we have a lot of college students in our area, so we get a lot of them working in our store. I think that they, uh, maybe because of their age, they they ideologically were already just in a mindset of all unions are necessary and good, and this is a definite yes. Or I suspect that they felt social pressure. Um, we live in a really progressive community as well, and it was really hard for me. And I know a lot of my coworkers who said, I don't think we need this union. It was really hard for us to kind of, wrap our heads around that because we always just assumed we were pro-union and which, which we are but we were like but we don't this is this is not something we need here this doesn't seem correct this doesn't seem necessary so i think a lot of the younger people uh just felt like oh yeah this is we got to support unions now where where is hadley is that straight west up off the uh, mass turnpike yes okay yeah. So you also have so a lot we're about of... an hour east of the Berkshires, so we're not quite to the Berkshires. Okay. I've I spent a lot of time up in Massachusetts, have family members up there, but um, I'm mm-hmm. trying to get a ballpark of where you are. Mm-hmm. So you've also got, if you're about an hour out, you've probably got your blue-collar union folks as well, right? It's Massachusetts, it's a, quote, union state. Marty Walsh just yeah. came from there, right? Yeah. So I'm wondering if you know, for, for back to your point about the younger folks, I'm wondering like how many of them grew up in union households, et cetera. Mm, right. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. Um, I, I know we have a few coworkers who, who grew up in that, but, um, I don't know how many, uh, total, but yeah, there, there's definitely that influence in the area as well. And, you know, that's, that goes to the point that some unions are great. Uh, some unions really, are necessary uh, for people, and they've served them really well. And we certainly don't, I don't discredit that in any way. But everything we were, Les and I and our coworkers talking about had to do with this this job and this particular union and the way the narrative it had and the tactics that it tried to use uh, in order to convince people that this was necessary. That's what we didn't agree with, or I didn't agree with. Well, it doesn't sound as though it's atypical. It, you know, the seat at the table argument, the um, get a voice with management, management can change things anytime they want. The, you know, without a union, you're an at-will employee, which is not true. But, you know, so that stuff is kind of standard pitter-patter, so to mm-hmm. speak. Um, yeah. But, you know, the it's the youthful part that has really got me puzzled over the last couple of years. And, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that the unions are 
are targeting more progressive companies. I think Trader Joe's would be in that category. Starbucks certainly is. There's been several others. But the pitter-patter sounds the same, but the targets are a little bit different than normal, especially if you have good pay, good benefits, your management's listening to you. That's what's kind of strange. You know, oftentimes it's management's, you know, you've got an ogre for a supervisor or, you know, something that would trigger it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously since the pandemic, social causes, social justice causes were kind of at the forefront because we're thinking about workers having to put themselves out there on the front lines like we did with the, with, um, as grocery workers. So I just think it's a, it's just the young people are just in this moment where they, they want to help and they'll sort of just kind of agree with anything that's, that's they're sold will help. Now, let me ask you in Massachusetts, and I'm trying to recall, you have Pathmark. Is that right? Is that, no, that's, what's the big grocery chain up there? There's a union grocery chain. Um, well, there's a stop and shop is you. Uh, stop union. and shop. That's the one I'm thinking. You've got price rights. Yes. Um, there's other union grocers up there. I'm, I'm yeah, just there's curious. A, there's a, Go ahead, Les. There's a co-op that has two two stores that's unionized. So did you ever compare what you guys have versus what they have? I, I, it sounds like you're in the ballpark in terms of wages. I don't know about benefits, but. Well, I mean, um, comparing it to Stop and Shop, I know we exceed uh, what they have, you know, what they receive. And was that but ever I pointed out? For the, like, you know, did Trader Joe's ever say, hey, look, y'all, you know, you guys are up here. Yes, and- well, when when the thing first went through, when the unionization first went through, um, Trader Joe's said, you know, to begin bargaining, I want you to, you know, grab basically a contract from one of the grocery chains that are around here, so we can see what we're, you know, what what we're dealing with with a, you know, and uh, and how our wages stack up to to theirs, you know. So yeah, it was definitely brought up from Trader Joe's to basically get a hold of Stop and Shop and see if they can <laughs> give us some guidance on what what their rates were and stuff like that. Yeah, I think people were reaching out and looking at the contract over at Stop and Shop. I can't remember the specifics right now, but it definitely wasn't as good as what we had. Um, And I spoke to someone at the local co-op, and I'm trying to remember what they said. I can't remember now. I think they said something like, uh, I only work here every once uh, every few years, so I don't really even know what goes on with the union. Which was interesting. So, um, well, so you, you, i.e., the employees had to go do their literally your own research. Like nobody provided you with the the stop and shop contract, for example. Yes, right. We had to go find that ourselves. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we, when we spoke about like the contract, and then Trader Joe's when the negotiations began said. We, you know, we'll start with it. We, we actually mentioned to the union organizers and our coworkers, I don't remember if it was me or you, Les, or someone else, but we said, you know, you're going to have to start with a contract from another grocery store. And they said, no, 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 we don't have to do that. We're going to start with just what Trader Joe's has now, and we're just going to go up from there. 
And that was very confusing to me and many of us because we were starting to learn about what negotiation, uh, what unionizing means and what negotiations might be like. And we were saying, uh, but how do you negotiate off of that? We couldn't understand how that worked. Uh, and they just thought, they just told us it, it'll work. <laughs> well, I and not to digress, but when I do labor relations collective bargaining classes, essentially I'll use a prop, like a you know package of Oreo cookies, and your wages and benefits and everything else you have is that package. And mm-hmm. what happens is that will go on the bargaining table and whether it's six months, a year, 10 years, however long the bargaining process takes, at some point, if there's an offer, that offer can be more Oreos cookie, Oreo cookies, or it could be less, or it could be the same package. Mm. You know? And yeah. so it's just bartering back and forth, which is all bargaining is. Right, which is what we learned. And I think to be fair, our coworkers were being sold by the union that I think that the union organizers were trying to say, this is how it is, yes, but we think it shouldn't be this way. We think that we think we can do something that's never been done before, ah. which is negotiate from here and move up, and uh, you guys are going to be our experiment. And that's what we were hearing, and we were kind of like, no, no, we don't want to sign up for that experiment. That <laughs> so you become the little- lab rats. <laughs> We have, and that sounds a little not grounded in fact. Uh, and yes, uh, it, it is possible, I guess, but try telling people, you know, that they're, they are the lab rats. We were like, no, thank you. That, those were the sorts of things that came out very quickly where we realized this is not, not going to be something that's good for us. So let me ask you, 11 months later, is there anybody that's like verbalizing buyer's remorse? Like the of the forty five that voted for the union, yes, some of them left. But are those that stayed? Are anybody saying, "Wow, we we bit off more than we can chew," or this isn't how we thought it was going to be? Yeah, um, we have quite a few coworkers, I think, um, who have voiced that they're not very happy with what's been going on with the union. I think I kind of knew. I don't know if Les felt this way, but going into the the election. I was worried about how would my coworkers find the time to get involved with all of this union stuff and hold the union to account. Uh, and, and, you know, because you've got to show up for meetings outside of work. Uh, my coworkers have kids. I was curious, how are they going to stay involved? And it really seems to me like there's a lot of people who are not involved and they're just sort of watching from the outside. And I've heard a lot, quite a few of them say, this is just not going well. And when I told them, you know, I tried to go to the bargaining to see what was going on a second time and they had security take me and my coworker out. They were very upset by that because they were like, why, what are they trying to hide? Why, why can't you be there? So let's talk about that a little bit. You mentioned this in your article. You went to the bargaining meeting, and this is where the union is talking to management, obviously, or the the representatives of management somewhere, right? Where is that, a hotel? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you, what, asked to come in, or or how did that all go down? Because you mentioned that, you know, they escorted you out, and that was kind of interesting. Uh. Yeah, well, Les and I went the first time. I got escorted out. Uh, 
at a second negotiating session. Um, and we just walked in and said, we're here to observe, you know, negotiation, what's going on in here, because we had seen a letter in the break room from, and we had read bargaining updates from both the union and Trader Joe's with sort of two different stories. And the union president posted a letter, and this was after they had rejected the bonus that we had all voted to accept. Um, so the uh, union president posted something in the break room saying, so Trader Joe's likes to put a spin on things, so we need more eyes in the room to see what actually goes on. Pretty much saying, trust us, once you get in here, you're going to see that Trader Joe's is putting a spin on things. So Les and I were like, well, let's go and see for ourselves. Let's get the answers. Let's watch it and get the answers. And that's why we exactly. went to observe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, for me, it was uh, what if, what if, you know, the union is telling 90% truth and 10% lie? What if Trader Joe's is like, you know, is, is there a gray area? Uh, we wanted to know when they were both posting what happened at the meetings. We wanted to know what, which, which one was telling the truth <laughs> because sometimes their stories were so opposite. So um, how long how long after the election was this when you first went to the you know, this was February session? February yeah. right yep so this was February and it was and the election was in July was this the first bargaining session or was this you know several down the road no it was uh, several down the road okay so was it at a hotel sorry to get I'm trying to <laughs> get too no. detailed but it was yeah and we. Just like I said, we walked in and just said, we're here to observe what's going on. And we sat there and uh, observed the negotiations for that day. Um, and we didn't cause any disturbance or plan to or anything like that. And what we saw was they were presenting proposals that were just outrageous. And the union was presenting crazy proposals um and it was i was surprised by that and really offended that they were then telling people that trader joe's is stalling negotiations and then meanwhile we're here seeing them propose really unreasonable proposals such as paid vacations um or not paid paid holidays but you're going to get all these holidays off and even if you're not scheduled to work on these holidays you're going to get paid. So that means that some people will be working and getting paid and some people will not be working and getting paid the same for the holiday. And that's just one example of many. And I don't know what they were thinking, to be honest, but I wasn't surprised that Trader Joe's was responding saying, um, this is outrageous. <laughs> this is a ridiculous proposal. And then of course, if Trader Joe says something like that, the union goes to social media and says, ah, oh, they're so rude to us and they're stalling and union busting and yada, yada. It's, it's interesting because you got to observe firsthand how negotiations works and, yeah. you know, either party can ask for whatever they want. And then, you know, when the other party says no, especially if it's, you know, the employer saying no to the, the union, the union gets, free reign to go out and say whatever they want. Right. 
And not to mention, you know, they could have had, why didn't they, I didn't understand why they didn't try to put together a contract proposal. I thought that's what you do. Um, I was just, I was really surprised that they were presenting a proposal like this. And maybe it was a typo, you know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But I mean, you've got, you're doing a serious job and you've got a lawyer with you. And how, how does that proposal even get put forward? I don't understand. Yeah, let, let's talk about that. So the union, which is a upstart independent union, had a lawyer sitting at the table. And yeah. they weren't collecting union dues, still aren't collecting union dues, I think, right? Right. So the lawyer was just there for free or on loan? You don't know. Uh, I asked the lawyer whether or how he was being paid um, and who's paying him to be there. And he told me he's not getting a dime. Um, And I don't know how that's possible, but I don't know how they're getting, how they're financing that uh, or what that's going to cost the workers um, down the line. Well, I was looking at the the union's constitution earlier, and have you guys gotten a copy of that, by the way? No. Okay. Michael, when we're done, I can send it to you. Actually, Les, I can send it to you as well. It's on the Department of Labor's website. But they mention in there that, I've got to pull it back up, so I forgot I shut the computer off. I think the, the dues, once there's a contract reached, are going to be decided by a committee. Hmm. So they don't have a set amount in there yet, I guess. Oh, well, that's too bad because they were promising everyone. What were they promising everyone less during the campaign? I honestly Was it $5 or $10? They they mentioned, hang on, I'm going to try to pull it back up. They do mention the $5, but that sounded as though it was before a contract was reached. But don't take me at that for a second, so let me try to find it. Yeah, I would be surprised if they're saying that that's going to be decided later because that's not what was being presented during the campaign. They said, I'm pretty sure they said like the max would be $10 or $5, something like that. But maybe that's what they're going to stay under. Maybe that's their threshold. Give me two seconds. I'm going to pull it up. See, and this is somewhat unusual for you guys because the oftentimes when it's an established union, you can, this stuff is, you know, available to the public. You can pull this up at any time. Mm. And so this wasn't submitted until March of this year. Right. With the DOL. Mm. I'm scanning this. I'm going to send it to you after we wrap up, but dues payment for any eligible worker suffering without suffering without a collective bargaining agreement will be voluntary and at the rate of $5 per week. All dues rates for eligible workers working under a collective collectively bargained agreement will be democratically decided upon by a committee. Hmm. Not by the, not by the workers themselves, but by the committee, whatever the committee. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so who's suffering without a bargaining agreement? Well, apparently you are. Apparently, (laughs) but I'm stuck with the bargaining (laughs) agreement. Aren't I? Yes. If, if one is reached. Right. And then that's not true. We, then, I mean, we, we have a collective bargaining agreement whether we want it or not. Right. And in Massachusetts, since it's not a right-to-work state, 
Um, you can be required right. to pay as a condition of employment under that collective bargaining agreement, whether you wanted to or not. Right. So. Right. Well, we did um, after the last bargaining session that I tried to go to, we did gather some signatures um, for a petition for an open shop clause if there is a contract reached. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So we got about 20 signatures there. I think there probably would have been more if people weren't scared of retaliation from the union or having their name out there. Um, and it's interesting because after I did turn in that, that petition for the open shop clause with the 20 signatures to the lawyers, um, the union president immediately snapped a picture of it with everybody's names and sent it out to the group chat hmm. uh, to kind of put everybody on the list of people who could dare try not to pay union dues to this union. Has there been any ramifications from that since? No. No, it may be. Uh, well, yes, there have. Well, oh, ramifications. Um, we did have some people who were somehow allowed to be in that secret group chat, and they were removed from the secret group chat ah. after they so their names. Yeah, were on the that ones, list. They the ones that removed. had their names. Yes. Yeah, and we had a coworker who was removed and was quite upset by it and ended up trying to contact the president multiple times, never got a response, and finally wrote a letter and posted it uh, in the break room, a letter to the president stating that they were very concerned that they were removed from the group chat, which they were seeing as a way of people getting information about what's going on with the union, which uh, he thought we should all have access to that information, considering we're all in this collective bargaining unit. And uh, But he was dropped from the secret group chat. So we're not privy to the information, not privy to, to seeing what goes on in negotiations, even if we're just sitting there not causing a disturbance. Um, we're not privy to any information about what's going to be happening to our benefits and wages. So let's go back for a second, because you kind of... I. I probably sidetracked you, um, but you started talking about you got to sit in one of the bargaining sessions, but got escorted out in another. Yes. Yeah. Les and I went to a session in February and we, and uh, Les, did anybody else join us on that particular one? I think I went two no, days. It was just you and I. Yeah. And we wrote a statement in the break room, just stating what we saw. Because like we had said, there were kind of two stories going on about what's going on in negotiation. So we thought, well, hey, what better than the people who uh, were there? We're going to write a statement, a, a bargaining update from crew members is what we called it. And we just told them what we saw. And as I mentioned, I saw these crazy proposals. Um, and I guess as a result of that, um, they decided that they didn't want us to be able to make a statement about what we saw in negotiations. So then when I tried to go again in March with some other coworkers, two other coworkers, um, we were told we couldn't be there anymore. And now uh, I think the rules had changed because apparently from the statements from the union president before, anybody could be in the bargaining committee. Uh, anybody could participate in negotiations. It was kind of just this open thing. You can come and go whenever you want. 
And now all of a sudden I was being told, actually, I, the union president, I decide who's going to be in the bargaining committee and you're not allowed to, to watch the negotiations. And, you know, I don't know everything about how you, how negotiations are supposed to go because I'm new to unions, but I just said, so you're telling me that someone who's a member of this collective bargaining union and possibly is going to be uh, affected by the agreement, if there is one, can't see what's going on in this room. And he said no. Then told me that um, the... Uh, the reason I couldn't be there was because Trader Joe's didn't want people broadcasting what was going on in the room. And essentially he said, so Trader Joe's is the reason you can't be here. And I said, well, I don't need to watch a broadcast. I'm already here. Um, so that's what happened there. And then the union, union lawyer came in, who I'd never met before. It was another union lawyer who I'd never met before, and she was very short with us and just said, we're not doing this, and uh, called this hotel security to escort us out. So it wasn't Trader Joe's that wouldn't allow you to be there. It was the union. union Correct. 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 And I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't understand how that works, but. So. Let me ask you, you've referred to the union president several times. Now, was that union president elected by everybody in the store? No. So No, there did... was a, <laughs> their first union meeting, um, which they had posted a paper in the break room saying there'd be a union meeting. Uh, but I think it was at a time when a lot of people were working. Obviously, we work around the clock. It's hard to get everybody in one place at one time. But I, from what I saw in the notes from the meeting, there were about maybe 22 people who actually showed up to the meeting. And the election of officers was sort of, either those people knew that that was coming or they were, some of them were surprised that that was coming. So it wasn't posted in the store anywhere or told to everyone, hey, we're going to have an election for union officers for this brand new union. It was very secretive, uh, and they really just kept it to those people that we had spoke about earlier who were obviously pro-union, um, and we weren't even availed any opportunity to participate or vote. So you um, had roughly, let's see, 45 and 31, so that's 76 I don't know how many people didn't vote, but you've About got a score. About eight people didn't vote, yeah. So you've got over 80 people in the store. There's a union officer election where only 20-some-odd people were invited or knew about yeah. it. Or showed up. Or I showed up. Say. I don't know how many people knew about it, but we a lot of us didn't. Okay. So it wasn't advertised. A whole bunch. Um, now, of the quote, candidates who ran and later became officers, how many of them were involved with the organizing campaign? All of them, I think. Right, Les? So, yeah, I'm pretty sure all of them. So now, is the president of the union the person who is pushing the union post-pandemic, like the one who brought the union to the store, so to speak? Yes. Definitely one of the organizers, yeah. Okay. Yes. And I should say in that meeting, uh, 
our coworkers, some of our coworkers were even saying, like, oh, shouldn't we notify other people in the store to give them opportunities to have, like, an election and everybody can kind of get an opportunity to say if they want to be involved? Um, so, like, I think at least five people in that meeting of 22 said they were concerned about having this election so quickly and without notification to the rest of the crew. But so nonetheless, your, they went through with it. Some of your coworkers weren't even allowed to nominate other people. Right. Interesting. Uh, and the people who were concerned about that in the meeting who were pro-union people saying, hey, this shouldn't we let everybody know this is happening? The union organizers pretty much just told them, no, this is how this is going to work. We're just going to have this election right now, and and it's just going to be done. Hmm. And how soon after the election did that take place? I don't know. Less? I'm not 100% sure. Um, within a few weeks, I think. Yeah, was within a few weeks. Okay. And let me ask you this. You referenced this in the uh, article as well. You still don't know... If Trader Joe's United is an independent or affiliated with Workers United or SEIU or whoever. Right, right. We know that they were affiliated with Workers United and SEIU, and we knew that from early on based upon what was going on at Starbucks. Um, We could assume that was going on. And to be fair, some of the organizers did say, oh, yeah, we're getting donated support from other unions but it doesn't mean we have to be a part of them. And I think that they believed that, um, and maybe they were being told that, but they definitely were uh, affiliated with Workers United and the SCIU to start. And now they say they're not affiliated with them anymore, uh, and I don't know. I don't know if they're affiliating now or if they're getting money from another union or what. But well, we, we kind of heard that early on, and that also made us a little uncomfortable with the with the union. Well, the Workers United, the head of Workers United, is the one that filled out the the union like application after it went through. His name was on the you know the application, hmm. um, and he was very you know uh, heavily involved in a lot of things as far as uh, had his hands in the cookie jar, so to speak. In fact, you know they tried to say. When we lost our 401k bonus disbursement, they tried to blame it on him for dropping the ball because soon after the New York vote didn't go through, he kind of washed his hands of it and walked away. And yeah, that was weird. I don't know why they how they blamed it on them. What explain the you lost your 401k bonus? What how did that happen? Well, because you know Trader Joe's obviously can't give us, uh, you know, we had to remain at the status quo, you know, and any type of uh, things that are offered to stores, you know, the union uh, has to, to, to sign off on. Right. And uh, we get, you know, our 401k was going to give us, we had the option of either a, a 6% bonus, if you didn't want to have it put into your 401k, or they're going to give you 10% of your, your salary added to your 401k in the union. And just they've, had done to this, say, they've done that before too. This is something that Trader right. Joe's has done previously, at least a couple of times. But uh, they, yeah, they, but the union had to okay it ah. and say that and, it was a, 
okay to do. You're, you know. <laughs> yeah, and we we were going to the our pro union coworkers and saying like, hey, I, we really need you guys to make sure that the union accepts this bonus. So we were actually sort of putting the pressure on because um, nobody was talking about it. So we were like, okay, you uh, you guys got to make sure we don't lose this bonus. And then they said, it's no problem. We're going to have a vote for it. Okay, we voted yes to, to accept the bonus. Everything's fine. And then we went back to them and said, okay, well, can you make sure that the union people, like, sent an email to Trader Joe's to say that they're accepting it? And they were like, yeah, 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 they're doing that. They're doing that. They're doing that. But apparently they hadn't done that um, at some point. And it just kind of kept going on and on. Like, there was like a we just weren't sure when they were going to actually accept it officially. And then at the last minute, uh, at the end of some negotiating session, they, they rejected the bonus because they claimed that Trader Joe's was trying to force them to waive the right to negotiate for, uh, retirement benefits in a contract. Oh, that's interesting. So let me ask you, as I just did quick math, are you at about 40, are you full-time 40 hours a week? 38 yeah. hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my math is off a little bit, but if, if you're making $27 and 50 cents an hour and you're full time and I just did 40 hours, but that's like over 50 grand a year, right? If yeah, you're right full time. And so if that cost you 10% of the monies, which would be pre-tax, right? So it's not taxed. Right. Going into your, that would have cost you over five grand that little yeah. step up. Right. Well, what not to what mention they, the compounded interest of of a retirement right. contribution. That was an ex, that was an expensive slip up for you guys. Yes. Yeah, we and did it didn't get, seem go ahead, Les. Oh, well, we did get we lost the option for the 6% bonus payout and then we lost 5% of that of the 10% because so what they did is Trader Joe's gave us the amount from the year before, which was 5%. The so we, we did, we, yeah, so that was the status quo was the 5% from the year before. So we, we did get, you know, 5% put into the 401k, but not the 10%. Right. Not the okay. bonus. So it was, it was So yeah, but it's still, it's around 20, 23, 2400, right. you know, close to 20, right. you know, it's still not a small amount of change. Well, so if you yeah. say if you say just two thousand dollars times eighty employees, yeah. right? Well, yeah. and it, and by then they were already bargaining for Minneapolis, so that was another hundred and I can't remember how many employees are there. So it was, you know, close to two hundred employees. Yeah, and you know, a lot of us at Trader Joe's, we we've, we've worked in multiple stores, so we can transfer between stores. So this is like. Man, every other store is getting this bonus, but now I'm in this store and this is going on and I'm missing out on that. It was right. It sucks. It really sucks. So I know there's been a couple of elections. You just mentioned Minneapolis, New York, I think, did not vote to unionize, if I recall. Um, right. So at yeah, there's presence, been two New York ones that failed. So where where are things going or are you aware of what's going on with Minneapolis? Is the union, same union officers negotiating in Minneapolis? Like, are they yes. traveling? So there's, yes. 
they're traveling from your store to go bargain for the employees in Minneapolis? Yes, and vice versa. And sometimes Minneapolis people are coming up to the Hadley bargaining sessions. Yeah. So I guess the question then becomes, who's paying for their travel and expenses? Well, exactly. We don't know. But not only that, we do know that they were getting money from the SCIU, so we know that there was funding coming in that way. But they have a GoFundMe page where they're asking the community, our community, to give them money to help them fund uh, this travel that's, from our perspective, unnecessary uh, because Trader Joe's is telling them they're going to negotiate store by store, which is what the union was promising in the beginning. They said we're going to have an independent union about the store on a store by store level. So the GoFundMe page actually was something that, for me, that was very upsetting to me from the beginning of the campaign as well. Not only are we getting the best wages in the industry, uh, but now this union movement or this particular group is begging the community around us, our customers, for more money, claiming that Trader Joe's is not taking care of us. Many of us found that very offensive and exploitative. So, And they still do the same thing. And where's that money going? I don't know. Right. So I just went to the uh, the GoFundMe page. I was trying to look down there because a lot of times you can see where the donations are coming from. But you can you can probably do some cross checking should you want to to see who's actually donating. Mm. No. One appears to be an SEIU person. Huh. An organizer. Interesting. Now could be a different name, but the uh, as of twenty twenty one. The timing of the union campaign and the audacity to have a GoFundMe page when we were uh, at the beginning of, uh, in the middle of inflation. So not only are our customers coming in and having to deal with the rising prices of groceries, but now we're telling them, yes, we're the best paid in the industry, but we're desperate for some help to help us unionize. Um, It just seemed really odd and sort of uh, short-sighted, in my opinion. Yeah. Actually, it looks like the donations are mostly, at least the handful of names I recognize. One is a union attorney. Uh, that name is familiar, which is, I don't remember from where. But it, it appears that you've gotten union people donating to you. Hmm. So, to the union. Social justice committee member. So I wonder if that's like, oh, I see that they're privately from their, I see what you mean. People who are organizers getting paid by the union, but they're then by their own choice donating to this campaign. Right. Interesting. So, Mm -hmm. so you've got, it sounds like they're trying to do what they did at Starbucks, at least with you folks. um, Yeah. Where, they're going to unionize you store by store and then try to lump you into a singular contract if you've got the union officers from Hadley going to Minneapolis and vice versa. Yeah. Yes. Have they announced that or have they announced that's their intention? I mean, they've come, they've come up, come out with that now, but that wasn't what they were claiming in the beginning. That's kind of evolved over time. I don't know if they presented it to, I mean, they didn't present it to us, so they certainly didn't present it to the whole collective. 
but I don't know if they had another, you know, 22 people vote about this particular thing. Well, I, and I think the union at Starbucks is experiencing some of the same problems with that legal theory because they went after you as a singular bargaining unit. You got certified as a singular bargaining unit. The union can try to get the company to agree to, you know, multiple location unit. But if the company doesn't want to, they don't have to. And the union doesn't have a legal leg to stand on at this point. Right. So, and what yeah. they're, what, you know, the argument with Starbucks originally, when they went to unionize the Buffalo region, Starbucks said you should take the region and the union, which is Workers United, mm-hmm. opted to go to go to the NLRB and fight for a single store unit. So they, right. they're kind of SOL right now. Well, yeah, and not only that, let's put this into context. Like we were promised, or my coworkers were promised, an independent union that's going to represent this store. Now we have a union that is actively keeping other members of the store out of the information that's going to affect them. And now they're joining with others. So we've got, it's no longer representing our store. It's representing another store, but like our voices are not being heard. Um, It's not really representing us. And now it's becoming part of something else, which is not what was sold to my coworkers in the beginning. Well, your seat at the table gets watered down to a very small seat. Right. And I've, you know, exactly. And uh, it just seems a little odd that they would claim that they were really going to do it for us, but it's obviously no, now they're doing it for something else. And we're just kind of left by the wayside and we're just going to have to deal with whatever they do, whatever tactics they take. uh, And if they get a contract, we're stuck with that. Has anybody walked you through the legalities of, of the one year timeframe in in terms of them trying to get a contract? Um, Yes. Yeah, because you do have some some potentials there if they don't have a contract after a year for withdrawal right. recognition and decertification stuff like that. But right. you have to have a majority of your coworkers on board with that. Right. Well, let me let me ask you: You guys still good on time, or yeah, yeah. On, we've been on for a while. So I guess you know one of the lingering questions is how has it changed your relationship with your employer? Or with management? Less. I don't, I mean, I don't feel like it's changed a lot per se. I mean, there's been a lot of stress, I think, coming from both sides as far as, you know, the management are trying to deal with the way things are versus the way things were. I don't really know. I don't think things have really changed much for me. I mean. You're uh, still friends with whoever the manager was that you were friends with before? That hasn't changed? Right. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I try to be friendly with everybody. Yeah. Michael could attest to that, but, uh, yeah, no, nothing's really changed in the store in that way. Um, but we're also in this limbo period, right? So we don't know what's, what, what might change in the future. Have you been able to, because you mentioned you had a voice prior to being unionized. Have you been able to use that voice as it was in the past, or has that been limited? Um, I think, I don't think anything has changed there that I can think of. I mean, business is going on as usual status quo. So I don't think it's changed anything in particular. You do employee meetings, you know, monthly meetings or 
things like that? No, we have, no, we don't do any, any formal meetings like that. Did you prior to? No. Okay. No, we, I mean, years ago before the pandemic, our other captain who left kind of like right after the pandemic, actually a few months before the union thing happened, he had left, but, uh, he used to have meetings, an all-store meeting, but uh, oh, it's been... Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> it's been several, several years now. Do you think, and I'm asking this more from just personal curiosity, do you think that may have contributed to the lack of us having a voice or seat at the table, the stopping of the meetings due to the pandemic? I I personally don't think so. I think the pandemic itself and people not being in the workplace, things just got really disconnected, I think. Um, because if you're, if you're not in the workplace, you're not participating, you don't really feel a part of the, the day-to-day workings of the store. I think that something is lost there. And Trader Joe's, we do have like a bulletin that we get every week which kind of tells us the news of what's going on in the company and what sorts of things are going on for crew members. So there's always updates um, and celebrating, you know, anniversaries and such. So there is that communication there, which I think is, is still there and empowering and supportive. Um, so I don't, but the, I think the pandemic itself is kind of what disconnected the, um, the community by not having those meetings. Yeah, I'm I'm hearing that everywhere. And it's yeah, you know, it's just a matter of and some employers are are re trying to reconnect, but whether they're doing it successfully or not, I don't know. But you know, you hear about it. You you know that they're doing meetings again, but I don't know if it's connecting. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate you coming on Labor Relations Radio. It's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you. And Thank you. We should we should stay in touch because I'm very curious as to how things progress out there. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, giving us the opportunity to share our side of things. Sure. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. So that was Michael Alcorn and Les Stratford, both employees of Trader Joe's in Hadley, Massachusetts, who've been unionized for nearly a year now. And I don't know about you, but... Hearing a story like that where employees just wanted answers to questions and then being kept in the dark is both sad and shameful. However, I'm going to try to stay in touch with them. And if I hear some updates that I can share with you, I'm going to do that. And also, if you're an employee going through a similar situation and want to share your story, get in touch with us. Well, that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List, and if you want to reach out, you can reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at WorkplaceRPT. Give us a call at 1-888-668-6466 or leave us a comment under the audio portion of this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Whoa, black cream, to that You have been listening to Labor Relations Radio. Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoyed Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.